Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today, we're talking about a very sensitive subject. Uh, Pastor Dwayne has picked the topic for me. I love my pastor. He says, James, this is what I want you to preach on. I said, please, don't, don't ask me to preach on it. He goes, James, this is what I want you to preach on. I said, okay. And uh, I want to just share in the time uh, that, that we have here, and it's about 29 and a half minutes. Uh, I want to just talk about um, LGBTQ plus lifestyle. Um, in about 29 minutes, we will... Uh, talk about resolve and bring clarity to the most challenging, aggressive uh, topic there is in culture today. So no big deal. Just buckle up. Let's go. Let's have a good time, right? Um, And so, you know, what's interesting is as looking at this, the world is desperate to know who they are. People are. The Ancestry.com and genealogy uh, is a $1.6 billion industry, and Ancestry.com is the largest of this that sees 16% growth every year with over 20 million people searching their DNA and with the question of who am I and who do I belong to, This question is permeating culture today. In fact, culture, uh, to many, you just think, you look at the world and said the world's gone crazy. It's out of control. And I'm telling you that the single factor that is driving this craziness is people that are desperate to know who they are and where they're from. And so the good news is God's word shows us who we are. Your fact, if you're on this quest to discover your purpose, The good news is the one that created you, your heavenly father, he knows your purpose. He's created you with a purpose. He's got a destiny in your life and he's got identity he he, he wants to bestow upon you. And so really when the the church is just kind of taken back by culture, I've I've been a lead pastor for 22, 23 years and just I have seen everything in this spectrum since I've been a pastor in 2004, for instance, in 2004, the state of Michigan passed a state constitutional amendment defining marriage as between one man and one woman. The state population voted that and passed. Just 18 years later, the same state passes Proposal 3, which allows minors without parental consent to look at sex alter, uh, alteration and, and allowing Title IX men to go into women's bathrooms and showers. In just 18 years, this conversation has been very aggressive and moved quite rapidly, leaving a lot of pastors, parents, uh, flat-footed, not knowing how to respond. The conversations that we're, we were having on this issue five years ago is completely different. In fact, my goal today is to try to bring up the speed some because the dialogue now is in the church at a part of the faith 
With the question being, is LGBTQ and the Christian faith reconcilable? And does God speak of it and approve of it? That's where the conversation is today. Leaving on one side parents not knowing how to respond when somebody they know and love dealing with gender identity issues, quoting scripture saying it's in the Bible and it's okay. And they're going, I don't know how to answer this. But also on the other, because of social media platforms, there's generation that is hearing a theological narrative that says these two worlds that were apart and having to choose between one or the other now can be reconciled into one. But I would submit to you, if that was true, then where is the peace that should be found? And so in this conversation that we get to have, I, I, I hope you extend to me the grace and understanding one in 29 minutes, there's so many different elements that go out. I'm gonna very narrowly speak to one. And for every answer I give, there's gonna be three more questions created. I, I can appreciate that. Um, but as they say, there's a saying that for every country mile of road, there's two miles of ditches. And so in one ditch, this is what in this room that I'm trying to communicate and connect with and not alienate, but engage in God's truth is on one ditch, you've got a very fundamentalist, conservative far right that is, if I'm not up here preaching, turn or burn, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, they're gonna be unhappy with me because they see it as a compromise. On the other ditch, I have a group that is hearing a progressive woke theology that has scripture to back it up, that love is acceptance. That love is defined as inclusion. We gotta get this right. Because if we can get out of these ditches and get on the road, I promise you, this leads to healing and freedom. I promise you the identity that you're so desperate for, I promise you it's gonna, it can be found here. It can be found through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit in the written word. Jesus says this in John 8, that if you hold on to my word, you're my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. But it's to hold on. It's to hold on when everything in my flesh I will say in my flesh, when everything in me, it seems to not wanna let go of a truth that I've accepted for so much, or I'm being told, it is to hold on that in spite of what I may be feeling, that I, 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 I will hold on to it. I won't let go of it, I'll die to it, I'll lay my life down to it. And if I'm willing to do that, his spirit and his word will set me free and bring healing. And I'm just telling you, as somebody that has walked with Christ, I struggled with depression. I struggled with even thoughts of suicide when I was in college and anxiety. And I was so desperate, I held onto the word. And I'm promising you, 40 years later, 
This word gives you healing and freedom and identity. And so the narrative that I, that, that, that's kind of the, how I wanted to frame this uh, conversation is to minister grace and mercy in this ditch, but to also lovingly not compromise the truth that really when you think about it, love, love isn't inclusion at all. When I look at the word of God, it excludes actually. <laughs> Narrow is the path <laughs> that leads to salvation, that, that we need to deny ourselves and pick up the cross. And so let's just, let me encourage you with the word and what I'm done here, I hope rather, regardless of what you decide, you will walk out and go, I know what the word of God says and I know what the truth is. And I hope through that, that I draw you into this conversation, knowing that the word of God is offensive. I, I, it is for every one of us. It's, I'm not picking on any category here. The word of God offends me at times. Wouldn't we like to all have a gospel that didn't require us to change anything? You know, sign me up for that gospel all day long because I'm telling you over my 40 years of walking with the Lord, there's things that I've died to. And Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce life. And our hearts are screaming for life. And so when the church is looking at the world gone crazy, I tend to think this is our greatest opportunity that never before in my lifetime as I've seen a hunger out of people, a desperation of seeking the question of going, who am I really? And that's what we're gonna take a look at. You ready? Buckle up. <laughs> All right. Well, as we, as we look at this, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, this isn't a new dialogue, by the way. This has been, uh, this dialogue, this tension, this friction is, is, has been is from the beginning of time. And Paul writes about it because we all want this gospel that doesn't challenge us to die to anything. And so a lot of times we're offended and we leave, we move on, we keep looking. And certainly in a, in a culture that has social media, there are numerous theologians that will tell you anything you wanna hear. And Paul begins to talk about this and it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, it says, for a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. That means that people, don't like what you're preaching. <laughs> Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Well, you can find an agreement anywhere out there today. But here's the thing. My, my premise is there is an absolute truth and not everybody can be right. And the only one truth is God's truth, and that is the one truth that will set me free. And so as we take a look at this, uh, this message is actually, uh, I shared this with a group of senior pastors last summer. That's where Pastor Dwayne saw it. And he goes, James, I want you to preach on that. And I said, please don't make me. And he goes, I want you. And I said, okay. And so here I am today. Uh, but this class was, this, this discussion was actually formulated in a class that I took. It was my final class uh, in my master's. Uh, I've got a master's in theology. You're all impressed, very good, I like that. And uh, no. 
But it was, uh, it was a master's in theology. It was the final class, and the class was called Cultural Issues, the Bible looking at cultural issues. This was my last class. I graduated after this class. And this class was just last year in a college that I'm confident pretty much everybody would know the name. I'm not gonna say the name, but it would, I would describe it as a very fundamentalist, conservative, spirit-filled college, okay? And you would all know who the founder, the chancellor was of this. So I was very surprised in this class that the professor had a different view of scripture than what I would have expected. And so I'm sharing with you a conversation I had in this class realizing it's a conversation that this whole room is having, that youth pastors are having, that parents are having, that young adults are even having. And, and it is, what does the Bible really say? And so in this conversation with this, um, I'll, I'll just, it was interesting in my class, I, I was one of about 12 and uh, I was the oldest guy. And, and so here I am, this old white guy. And then there's a guy that was kind of in his 40s. He played the mediator. You know, he kind of smoothed some tensions over. And then there was a guy in about a 35 or so that was a lead pastor of an inner city church in Portland, Oregon. And so there was this, spectrum of progressive woke theology and a more traditional fundamentalist. Uh, and then there was the teacher and then everybody else was in their 20s going, we don't know, what are we supposed to believe? What does the word of God say? They're just sponges. And I'm just trying to discern, do I just stay quiet, get my grade, graduate and go back to life? Or should I cause trouble for myself here? <laughs> what should I do? And so here were some of the things and, and I, and I want to, I, it's important that you hear if you haven't heard what the narrative is. And so maybe you're like, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've seen this on TikTok, I've seen this on Instagram and nobody has a reply to it. I wanna offer that reply to it. You know, I had one professor once say, a wise person can argue their point or a, a smart person can argue their point, a wise person can argue both sides. And so it's to understand the voice and the narrative to what was being said. For instance, if, if some of you are going, well, of course, LGBTQ plus lifestyle can't be supported in the Bible, it's all over the place. And, and one of the things is, let's look at Genesis real quick. I'm just gonna highlight some of the conversations and then we'll narrow down on, on two scriptures that will really include all of them. And, and it, was, it was this, God created Adam and Eve. Boy, that seems pretty cut and dry, doesn't it? Man and woman, day one, God created Adam and Eve. I was very surprised that I thought everybody was thinking this, but the class began to discuss it. And they said, well, Adam and Eve is not binary, it's a range. And to show that, God also created night and day. So the question is, did God create everything in between night and day, or did he just create the night and the day? No, he created night and day, that's a range, just like he created male, female, transgender, queer, everything in between as well. God is alpha and the omega. That's not a binary two points of reference, but it's a range of inclusion. God is the alpha and the omega and everything in between, right? It sounds logical and many people go, oh, I don't know how to answer that. However, 
My question was, when we had this discussion, was it is binary because it's referenced all throughout Scripture, including Genesis later on, Hebrews, Ephesians, and he says this, God created male, female, that a man shall leave his father and mother and be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall become one. Throughout Scripture, it's referred to as a binary. Anything in the Old Testament, well, that's Old Testament. Hey, the Old Testament said you couldn't have shrimp and shellfish, right? So what does the Old Testament even know? If you mention Sodom and Gomorrah, well, that was rape, and everybody's against rape. But the question really came down to the Bible doesn't address in, there's, there's about 25 scriptures, but they call them the big six. There's like really six big scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, that really talk about this issue that seem very clear, but this is the response, is that the Bible does not talk about in a negative sense or forbid mutually consenting, monogamous, same-sex attraction. That will be the voice or the narrative in, in what you hear. Uh, I hear that is the, the so uh, here are the two main arguments. The two main arguments is one is, is it doesn't talk about mutually consenting. And then here's the other one I wanna attack or uh, address, I'm sorry, address today. And that is, uh, and this is a big one. Uh, you, you, I'm sure you've heard this or you will hear it. And that is the word homosexuality doesn't appear in the Bible until 1946. And, and that, that is, I, I would say, yes, that is a truism. But the way that is interpreted is homosexuality was perfectly fine in the early church, early culture, all this time until in 1946, there was a group of 10 men that met at uh, Harvard University and going through interpreted it. And for the first time in 1946, they used the word in the translation as homosexual. And that is why there's this tension and it, the, it wasn't interpreted correctly. That's the problem was in 1946. There's a whole documentary about it. Um, it's usually, that's the line somebody grabs onto to try to reconcile these two worlds. So what do you think? Let's take a look at it, okay? So first off, to touch on a couple of the scriptures that Paul writes about, just my heart is this, is that you will just know what God's word says. And then in your heart, just reconcile what to do with it. And, and so I, I'm not here to, to prove a point. Um, but your hope is here. And I wanna lead you to a place where you're gonna find what you're looking for. And it's hard to do that without offending. but there's no other way to present it because it's the truth and what it is that sets us free. And so in Romans, as Paul's writing in 127, Paul writes, in the same way, men will also abandon natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And so I'm looking at this in the class discussion and, and uh, I, 
I said, well, this is pretty clear. And they go, well, it's a sin for a heterosexual man to cross over into same sex that, because it, they, that's not natural for them. That's the sin is they're, act, they're jumping out of their lane, in other words. And, but as you look at this, you, you realize that that's not what it's speaking. In fact, the professor in the class said, um, we know that this is acceptable, or one of the reasons is Jesus never talks about it. Paul is talking about it, but Jesus in the four gospels doesn't ad- address same-sex attraction. His silence is approval, in other words, because homosexuality was prevalent in the culture. And a lot of times they go, it was a domineering thing in the sense where uh, one, 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 one thought is, is that homosexuality was, in, in, in a Greek, in a Roman culture, this is very true, is an older man would disciple a younger man, teach him things about life, but in exchange have sexual homosexual relationships. And so they were going, well, that's not what the Bible, the Bible's saying that's wrong. It's not talking about mutually exclusive consenting. Um, there's power and authority over it, and that's wrong. But the Bible allows mutually consenting. And the professor goes, well, the fact that it was so prevalent in culture, Jesus doesn't talk about it. He accepts it. And so I raised my hand. She goes, yes, James. I said, well, Jesus taught in Israel. Paul's talking in Greece. In Greece and Rome is a pagan culture where they had all these gods they worshiped, including sex gods. But Jesus is in Israel that sure is under Roman uh, authority, but they were allowed to go to temple. They were allowed to practice their faith openly. And, And Jesus is talking to the Jews, not to the Greeks at this point. And, and then I just said, he didn't talk about a lot of things. So are you saying Jesus doesn't talk about pedophilia? Is he for pedophilia? I'm just asking, it's your theology. I'm just trying to understand. I'm just saying that because Jesus doesn't mention it doesn't mean he's for it. In other sense, in that culture, it wasn't common or it was understood under the Torah, very clear what God's, God's thoughts and views were on these things. And so... In, uh, it, uh, there's Romans 127. In Romans 132, Paul writes this, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Did you ever think we would see in our culture today where celebrities and transgender and LGBTQ community would be promoted to rock star status? And they said they knew it was wrong, but not only did they approve, but they also approved of those who practice them. So here's where it usually comes down to. There's one verse that the discussion finally comes down to as the big verse. And how we look at that affects all other scriptures. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. And so I'm getting a little nerdy on you here, but it's to bring clarity and not misrepresentation. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul writes... Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking to the church at Corneth in Greece. 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. And now he's gonna put a long list so that he's very clear what we're talking about. I'm not leaving anything out, in other words. So he has this list, rather than just saying the sexually immoral and stopping there, he's gonna explain what he's talking about. The sexually immoral, nor idolaters or adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. This is the first time in 1946 This verse here is where we see homosexual used first time in translation. Prior to that, it would say sodomites, um, or they would be different terms. And so this is the big one that, boy, that word was incorrectly translated. And so let's take a look at it because Paul, you gotta understand the context in which this conversation, they call it hermeneutics, the cultural hermeneutics of this time, Paul grows up in Israel, in a Jewish family. He's a scribe and a Pharisee going to temple, grows up praying three times a day, immersed in Jewish culture. Everybody gets it in his world in Israel. Now Paul is stepping into a world of paganism, of Greece and Roman culture that has never had any of this. It's like a homeschooler going off to college and walking into a frat party for the first time. His world is like, the, the things he has to address, he is so frustrated. Guys, are you kidding me? We're talking about this, you don't get this. I mean, so he's frustrated. And here's what I love about Paul. Paul's an earthy kind of guy that just tells you the way it is. Remember, Paul's the guy in scripture that just when he's talking about his own righteousness, he says, my righteousness is like dung. Well, he didn't use the word dung. We just translated that to make it nice English. So Paul is just cutting to the chase and he's using these words and there's a word that scholars have trouble with because they, some go, Paul made that word up. It's only used twice in scripture. Paul uses it both times or it's used twice in the New Testament. Paul uses it both times. He uses it here in Corinthians. He uses it in Timothy. And, and that is this word homosexual offenders, which is actually a compound word in the Greek, arseno, arseno kiote, and it's two words, arseno or arsenal. Arsenal means man and koite means bed. So we put these two together and Paul is talking about same sex, having sex in bed. So now it's important that we only have one word for bed. So you gotta, you gotta go, well, what's the context? What's he saying? I mean, for instance, I could say, I purchased a bed. That means one thing, same word, I can say, he took her to bed. We all know that means something else, doesn't it? (laughs) Luckily, the Greek has more words, and so they use different words. And so, uh, crevette is, I purchased a bed. I purchased a crevette. That means I just purchased a bed. But when Paul uses this word, arseno, arseno, kiote, Kiote is improper relationship, sexual relationship. It's very specific of what he's talking about, that he is declaring this as, as wrong, this same-sex attraction being played out physically through sexual intercourse, whether it's female, female, male, male. So Paul is choosing his words, and here's what's interesting, is it's the same word if we go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek form of the... Old Testament. Paul is an expert of the Old Testament. 
he uses the same word that's found in Leviticus. So when the discussion is the Bible doesn't talk about mutually consenting monogamous same-sex attraction, it's a false narrative because that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. In choosing these words, arseno kiote, and now if we look back in Leviticus 18.21, which a lot of people go, well, that's Old Testament, dismiss it, but he's drawing reference going, what was said in the Torah is true today, and, 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 it, and ignoring it keeps us from coming into the intimacy of God. And so he puts in the, he draws from a Leviticus 18.21, it says, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch, for you must not profane the name of God, I am the Lord. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That, that's the, the word he's drawn from, the arsenal kiote. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, arsenal kiote. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with. This is a perversion. In Leviticus 20, verse 13, the same word, arsenokiote, if a man lies with a man, as one lies with a woman, mutually consenting, even monogamous, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. This is under the Torah, the Old Testament. And Paul is referencing these and he's pulling these in to the church that are trying to bring their former lifestyle, their former way of thinking, and they're trying to blend it in with this new life of Christianity. And they're trying to get these two worlds to mesh. And, and, and this conversation is what we're having today is does not love mean acceptance? And so the conversation then in the class turned to, well, Jesus met with the sinners. Jesus met with the adulterous woman. And I, I just raised my hand and, and I said, yeah, in, in love, we have to engage the lost. So I'm not just singling out LGBTQ plus community, that, that it, it's the lost. Because Jesus engaged the lost. but it wasn't acceptance for their lifestyle. It was go sin no more. Amen. It was a change of heart. And this is what Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 6. After he addressed all of this in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul goes, and that is what some of you were, past tense, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. We, we in this short time talked about a narrow question and I just wish we had more time and, and we could go on, you know, with parents going, how do I minister? I have a friend, a student that loves Jesus, but loves this friend and sees this friend crying 
because our identity is in this same-sex attraction or transgender and friends have to make almost a choice between faith and friendship, but they see the pain. I, I get it, I get it. I, if I could fix it right now, I would. But this is how I, I ended and walked away from that moment in that class. As I said, if the only gospel we have is Jesus loves you and that means you can do whatever you want and you don't have to change. And what are we doing here on Sunday? What, what's the point? And there's good news and there's bad news, but the bad news is good news. The good news is we're all messed up without Jesus. We can't single out this one thing and be distraught on what to do with it because at the core and at the heart of it, it's an individual trying to find their identity. And as a believer, we have the path and we have the answer to that question their heart breaks for. That I believe and my life has experienced that this word and the spirit that rests upon it will heal and transform you into who God created you to be. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, those who come to Christ are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And that verse is talking about your spirit being instantly transformed. You ask Jesus into your life, regardless of the choices and the mistakes you've made, God's grace, God's love, God's sacrifice is greater than any stupid thing I've ever done in my life. My spirit was made new, but my soul is where all my hurts and wounds reside. My soul is where I believe an identity that isn't true. An identity the world put on me that I grew up in believing because I didn't know the truth. My spirit wasn't made new. My soul still thinks like an orphan and as a slave, and it doesn't think as a son and as a daughter. So the fact that if you've given your life to Jesus and you're still struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with, whether it's an addiction, whether it's pride, whether it's LGBTQ identity, because you're still dealing with it doesn't mean that God has accepted it. It just means he's inviting you to a lifelong journey to renewing your soul and your mind on the word of God, to take every thought captive, hold it to the word, and it's a lifelong journey of healing of our soul and our identity. Jesus stands up and starts his ministry in Luke 4.18. And he says, the anointing of the Lord, meaning I am sent by the Father, the anointing of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor in spirit, to heal the broken heart and to set the captives free, 
There's only one, only one that can heal a broken heart. That's Jesus. I'm gonna pray for you. And today there, there's people, some are struggling with this issue that we talked about, but, but this moment is for everybody. And the moment is this, people are looking for their true identity. They're trying to get past broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. Our heart and our spirit cries out to know its purpose. And maybe you walked in today and what this, the common theme is, is maybe you walked in today and you're trying to find true peace in your life. You're trying to find your purpose. You're trying to find who you are. And it all begins, the healing, the restoration, the step into sonship and daughtership, it all begins with one question. And it's the same question for everybody in here, everybody watching. The question is this, is my heart right with God? Man, until you get the answer to that one, you're not gonna find the healing and the freedom and the identity you look for. And so in this moment, the reason I have you bow your head, close your eyes is to give you a moment of solitude. And it's a moment to honestly ask, Lord, is my heart right with you? And if you're watching or you're here and you're saying, well, I hope so, or I think so, today you can know for sure. You might be saying, well, I try to be a good person. I try to do the right thing. Trying harder to be good doesn't make you right with God. But the Bible says in Romans, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And what this verse means is there's gotta be a defining moment where we didn't just believe in God or try harder to be good, but that we surrender ourselves to him. And we say, Jesus, come into my life and rescue me. And if you don't have a defining moment like that, this is your moment right now. It's a hard path, but it's a beautiful path. So I'm gonna pray on the count of three. And if you're here today, you're watching online and you're saying, I don't know if my heart's right with God, but today I wanna know for sure, include me in that prayer. And the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. And if you're online, just respond in the message, that's me. I don't know if my heart's right with God, but today I wanna know for sure. Include me in that prayer. If that describes you on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Don't miss this. One, two, right now, three, just raise your hand. Thank you, I see that hand. One, two, three. Awesome, keep your hand up so they can, uh, they can get some in. Four, five, awesome, six, seven, awesome, awesome. Up in the balcony, awesome. If you're online, just type in, that's me, awesome. I have you raise your hand, I have you respond. That's a way of calling out. Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. It says you will be saved. What a beautiful promise. And so if you raised your hand or you meant to, even if you're watching online, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. And church, if you'd pray along for encouragement and just pray, oh, heavenly father, I come to you in Jesus name. I believe you died on the cross, that you rose again, and you're seated on the throne. Jesus, forgive me for all that I've done wrong, and I choose to forgive all others. Come into my life.
today and forever. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.